Welcome back to another episode of One of These Years, our Detroit Lions podcast. I am Chris Burke, joined as always by Nick Baumgartner, the uh, Lions sitting 4-5 and five after a win, quote-unquote win, over <laughs> Washington. I guess they all count, uh, but uh, we'll get into that in a minute. Uh, first, want to thank everyone who's listened so far. Thank you for uh, rating us, reviewing us, subscribing. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, uh, Spotify, Google as mentioned before, if you were not showing up on your favorite podcast app, let us know and we'll try to fix that. But um, make sure you check us out on theathletic.com as well. We've always got subscription deals going. Got a ton of NBA draft content yeah. right now. Uh, James Edwards has been killing it on our Pistons content. Our NBA draft guide is insane <laughs> for those yeah, of you who like the NFL draft guide. So make sure you head over there and check all that out. Uh, so Nick... Let's get into this. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Like, it felt like this game was just going to be, if they lost, it felt like we were going to be talking about a coaching change maybe yeah. Monday. And if yeah. they won, it felt like it was going to be, you know, just one of the, like when Ohio State beats Rutgers, and you're like, all right, well, whatever. <laughs> um, and then the game unfolded the way that it did, and, and they kind of left us with some stuff to talk about. Yeah, like we were just talking before we started recording actually about, you know, if you just go back and look at the schedule and then sort of look at what's coming up here and it's like, you know, I don't think that I don't think they've lost anybody other than that Chicago game and obviously some of the way these things have gone, like the some of the process in these losses have been bad, but like if you're trying to judge progress, right? Like they've beaten the teams that you would pretty much expect them to have beaten. Some some by the skin of their teeth, some in more uncomfortable fashion than you would have wanted. But if you sit here at 4 and 5 and say Okay, well, if you go to Carolina and you don't have to play McCaffrey, who would have, I mean, if we can all agree here, Christian McCaffrey healthy against this Lions defense would have been, like, record-setting. So you don't have to play (laughs) against him, right? I mean, and then you go home and you play the Texans on Thanksgiving, and suddenly it's 6-5 and with a chance to go get 7-5 and against Chicago, who is not playing well. Uh, What's progress here? I mean, like, it's, it's it's a weird deal, right? Where it's like, but at the same time, you flip it around, Chris, and I think you would agree. If you, it feels like almost like if you lose again, really to maybe almost any of these next three, then like, what more do we need to see? It almost feels like they're in this weird, like, a lot of NFL teams, I guess, get like this. You can maybe make this halfway interesting or you can just like fall apart completely. I guess that's maybe where this is at right now. I don't know. Is that where you're feeling it? I mean, this feels familiar, but like, is that where you're feeling the whole thing out? Yeah, I mean, I think you kind of circled these three that they're in right now, Washington, Carolina, and Houston, and it felt like they had to win all three um, really to salvage anything this year. So they've got one checked off, and now, as you mentioned, you know, Teddy Bridgewater might not play. McCaffrey is out. Um, So, I mean, that's still, you know, there's still some guys on that team you worry about, certainly, as there is Mm -hmm. any NFL team. But, that, I mean, that's a game you should go win. That's a bad Carolina team without it. they're not great without its superstar running back and maybe without its starting quarterback. Uh, and then, yeah, Houston is not very good, and that's, you know, your showcase game on Thanksgiving. So, yeah, I mean, this this felt like a stretch where they could kind of pull things out of the fire a little bit. But to your point, I mean, even at that point, you're 6-5. and five. If, if yeah. you can run off three in a row, which they haven't been able to do under Matt Patricia, first of all. <laughs> you know, they're right. not like they're sitting here ripping off winning streaks left and right. Um, so getting to three would be – an accomplishment in itself, but then you've still got, you know, uh, there's still three left within the division, which they just can't beat any teams within this division. Um, So I think that Chicago one becomes important too. But yeah, I mean, you kind of go back to 2017 and not to keep circling back to the Jim Caldwell discussion, because I think there were certainly reasons for Jim Caldwell to not continue on as the head coach of the Lions, but right. That team was nine and seven, and the teams that it lost to in 2017, you know, it was Atlanta, it was the Saints, the Steelers, the Vikings, mm-hmm. the Ravens. Mm-hmm. The only game there that they, sh- you know, the Bengals game that eliminated them from the playoffs was the only bad team that they lost to. And they had six bad losses and eight or nine wins that were like, all right, well, he probably could have won. Not a big surprise yeah. on that game. So. Here we are three years later, and yeah, you're in the exactly. same spot where you're like right smack dab in the middle of the NFL. Yeah, and what you're looking for would be, you know, the difference in saying that you would have closed out the Saints game, you know, or you would have like figured out a way to not let that get off the rails, or you'd have been more competitive, uh, or or the same with the Colts game, or going forward here, if you can get through some of these, you get the Packers at home. So, I mean, like, 
you know, winning some of these other games that make make the difference between, you know, like you said, sitting sitting at home and having a terrible draft pick and still not making the still not making the playoffs, which is where nobody wants to be, or you know, falling apart completely. And I, I think that for all the folks who've been anxious about, you know, are they going to move on from these guys? Are they going to give them another shot? Is if they go eight and eight, are they going to get in the? And I think both of us have said all year. Um, for the most part, I think that it'll sort of reveal itself and it won't be confusing. It'll be, well, either this is exactly, like you just said, it'll be either this is exactly the same as it was when you started all this and you've gotten yourself back to exactly where you were when you started three years later, which is not, you know, not productive, or it's going to be worse. And, you know, in any of those scenarios, what's the answer there? The answer would be, okay, well, if you expected this to be faster and better, uh, then, you know, this probably needs to stop and move forward. And if it falls apart, it falls apart. But, you know, from where we're sitting here, the only way that this thing ends with, I don't know, I could be wrong, but it seems to me the only way this thing ends with anything different than what we all expect to happen would be just like some crazy winning streak here that would include not only Panthers, Texans, Bears, but also probably beating Green Bay. And then, you know, you got at Titans versus Bucks versus Vikings at the end of the year. You're going to have to win like one or two of those as well. So, like, that doesn't seem realistic to me. <laughs> right. But, you know, I mean, to be fair, you know, if the Fords are saying we'd like to see progress in the whole season, well, you know, I mean, like, they're giving them every chance. I don't think there's been anybody that could say, well, they didn't pull the plug earlier. They could have pulled the plug a few times this season where it got really nasty and they didn't. So I would expect them to ride it out. But, like, at the same time, we're sitting here like, and you're right. I mean, that Sunday... Sunday afternoon, we're like, okay, well, if this if they blow this, a 24-3 lead again to a terrible team, then what is the point? So, you know, I feel like we're one more of those away from this maybe being over, but also, like, if they can pull a couple of these out of the fire, then maybe this thing lasts a little bit longer, but it still feels like it's probably going to end the same way. I just, maybe not, but, like, that, the odds of that really salvaging itself just don't seem very good right now. Yeah, I'm sorry if the audio is, I don't know if it is or not, but if the audio is picking up, there's, like, a... Construction truck beeping. Outside oh, that's fine. Somewhere. I've got Disney movies so, playing in the other room. Here, so I'm pretty good. sure one of the neighbors <laughs> around here have decided to put in a pool in the middle of November. Oh, good. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, you know, we're quarantined, uh, so why not? Whatever. Right? Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, I mean, Thanksgiving to me was always, I know people yeah. kind of wanted uh, Sheila uh, Fordham to make a move after that Vikings game. Uh, because yeah. they got you know, they got clobbered at home by the Colts. Yeah. They got clobbered by the Vikings who are now suddenly are starting to resemble the team that people thought they might be, but mm-hmm. you know, certainly not, uh, not an elite team over the first half of the year. So, you know, they wanted ownership to make a move at that point. I had always kind of circled Thanksgiving as kind of just sort of a natural spot where you make your, make up your mind, at least for the rest of this year, if you're yeah. six and five, all right, let's ride it out. Maybe you do right. get hot and sneak into the playoff race. If you're four and seven, I think you, I mean, I yeah. guess you could pull the plug there. Again, I don't know that there's a huge benefit to doing this, as we've talked about, a huge benefit to the in-season firing, but um, it would make sense to do it at that point if you wanted to just see what you could mm-hmm. put together for five games. But as you split these two, and I don't know what happens, you go eight and eight on this year, and I don't know what happens. You're sort of, in the, as I wrote yeah. after the Colts game, being in the no-man's land in the NFL – is like the worst possible Terrible. spot to be. Like fifteen, picking fifteenth, you're seven and nine, eight and eight. It's hard because, as you said, technically, you know, to get to eight and eight would be significant progress over the records of the first two years with Matt Patricia. Yeah. But is this built to be eight and eight this year and eleven and five next year, or did they throw every single thing they had at this year trying to make it work? And eight and eight is the absolute best you can get. And I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it feels like that, frankly, right. but I don't know for sure. I, that's the great question. That's a question we've been asking for two years where it's like if you're – if you get – and maybe even longer, but if you get to this thing maxed out, you know, what's that look like? And maxed out to me still feels like 8-8 eight and eight would be, like you just said, you gave everything you had. Because look at the losses. I mean, you know, you blow a lead against Chicago. That's that's just a bad, you know, deal altogether. But, okay, so you go to Green Bay and then you get completely embarrassed – you played New Orleans at home, and while that score ends up looking a little closer than it needed, you were embarrassed badly during that one. Embarrassed by the Colts. Embarrassed by Minnesota. Barely hanging on against the Falcons. Barely hanging on against Washington. Barely hanging on against Cardinals. So, I mean, that's what we're talking about. I mean, like, in a lot of these instances, it's like, 
you know, the teams that we would expect them to be either equal to or a little better than, they're barely hanging on or losing. And the teams that maybe they have a puncher's chance against, they're getting housed. And the teams they have no chance against, they're getting housed anyway. So that's the (laughs) great question where it's like, if it's eight and eight and you just caught a couple really bad breaks and it was eight and eight and you were like seven plays away from 11 and five, that's a different situation. But if you were eight and eight and you're seven plays away from uh, five and 11, then it's time to move on. And that right now looks like what this is. They're four and five and they're like a handful of plays from being like two and, you know, seven. So like that's the, I mean, and you, I don't know if you could argue that they're a handful of plays away from being better. I mean, the only thing you, we could say maybe is that Bears game could have flipped the other way. But otherwise, this is exactly what they are, and you know that's that's what we're talking about here. And, and you know, as long as that continues, it's the same. And there's not anything on the horizon, especially defensively, that would suggest this is going to change. Especially, and I know we'll get to this in a second, but it took them nine games to decide that their most electric offensive weapon was going to be featured within the uh, structure of their offense. So that's also alarming and a little concerning. But it's at least it's there now. But it's also like. Is there more of that that's going to entice you in the last month to give them another chance that it's going to suddenly just burst into something where, like, next year DeAndre Swift's a pro bowler and a couple other guys are awesome and then defensively... I don't... I mean, maybe DeAndre Swift blows up. Maybe a couple other guys on offense take another jump. But defensively, I don't know if I see that happening. It looks like it's exactly the same or worse. So, you know, that's that's also stuff to take into account as well. Yeah, and I think that's a... That's a big thing for me as I look forward on this because I do think, and people keep asking us, you know, what's this look like if they fire everyone or, you know, how Mm -hmm. much do they have to rebuild? And I think offensively, they're in pretty good shape. We still don't really know what's happening with Kenny Galladay and, you know, Marvin Jones is going to be a free agent. Danny Amendola is going to be a free agent. Maybe we can get into that too here Mm -hmm. in a few minutes. But, you know, I think they've done a pretty good job putting this together offensively like the Vitae signing you know stands out as looking not great at the moment but otherwise as we've talked about too you know the offensive line there's at least three pieces in place there maybe more you've got Swift Mm -hmm. you've still got Stafford you know you would assume one of Galladay and Jones are back you got Hawkinson I mean the offense looks like you're gonna be okay next year defensively I I go back to my question of whether this is built for the long haul or built to be as good as possible this year and you've got a bunch of you know 30-year-old veterans on short-term contracts playing the bulk of these snaps. You know, it's Collins and Harmon and Shelton and Trufant. I mean, you just go down the list, like five of their top six snap counts Sundays, seven of their top nine, something like that, were all guys who were not on the roster last year and probably won't be here in 2022. So... I don't know. I mean, where's the development with the guys on that side of the ball? Okuda, I mean, I think people are, are tearing their hair out watching Okuda struggle, and mm. Tavai's barely part of this anymore. Will Harris played five snaps. I mean, the young guys you need to come along and be part of this foundation at this point aren't coming along. We've, we've kind of cautioned people not to panic about Okuda yet, but at the yeah. same time, uh, I mean, <laughs> we need to see something there, something from Tracy Walker that looks better, and... If you're again, this is all part of the picture. You're looking at it and saying, "All right, are we taking those steps forward?" Next year, it really looks like we're going to make a run at this. And defensively, I think you're going to you're going to be back at the same spot. Are these young guys going to develop? Which you know, plug and play free agents can we go find? Uh, and I don't know that that is feasible. Yeah, I mean, you sit here and look at it and you say, "Tavai played 11 snaps." In this game, okay, like Davis obviously is out, but we've seen how low his snap counts have gotten with in his situation. Will Harris plays four. Um, Walker is at thirty six, and I mean, my God, he's got to be better because he's struggling all over the place. And then Okuda had a really bad day tackling, uh, and also was wobbly in another a bunch of other areas. But that also leads into like, like you said too, like Desmond Trufant's out there eighty eight snaps, eighty eight snaps. Justin Coleman played 80. Justin Coleman got targeted 13 times and gave up 11 pits. So it's a lot of, like you just said, it's a lot of guys who were brought in here as what we saw at the top. And you're like, well, maybe they're in here as a stopgap until somebody else climbs higher. But also maybe not because you paid Justin Coleman a ton of money, you know, to come in here and, and do and be your slot corner. I mean, some of these guys, they've this is what I, it feels like this is what they've decided. I mean, they signed Reggie Raglan. To what? What to maybe curb Tavai, and in case it didn't work out, and now he's you, here. You are halfway through in the middle of the season, and he's playing seventy-seven snaps, and Tavai's playing eleven, and you don't have a choice. 
And so, yeah, I mean, you're looking at your younger guys and you're just like, Walker is really the one that I think we all thought of the younger guys that have been drafted here by this regime um, coming into this season that was really going to be able to take a jump. And I got to tell you, I mean, it just isn't happening. I mean, especially in man coverage. I mean, it's just been, it's been rough. And, and you know, there was one and it wasn't horrible on, on Sunday. It wasn't his worst day of the season, but it also could have been worse. I mean, there was one where he gets turned around on a double move and Alex Smith just misses it. That fourth and 13 play that we all saw that got converted looked like on, on the broadcast it might have been a J. Ron Curse problem, but if you look, go back and look at the 22, I think it's a Tracy Walker problem. I mean, there's miscommunication back there. There's a lot of the younger guys, like you said, Chris, they're just not they're not coming along here. And I I mean, I guess you could point to the fact that you didn't have, again, you didn't have the uh, offseason, you didn't have spring, and all that's all important, but... You know, at the same time, you you've had a couple months of NFL football here, regular season football, and and it's just not you know when you're like you said when you're leaning on guys that we don't even know if they're going to be here. Some of these guys have contracts that have outs in them, um, and you're barely hanging on as is. I, I just don't know, you know, kind of where that where that turns to. I mean, Washington just dinked and dunked them all you know to death. I mean, almost 90 snaps, all of it was underneath stuff. Stuff that they just, you know, they don't, like we've talked about so many times, they don't have any game wreckers in the front seven. They don't have anybody that can really, really, you know, make you get out of your comfort zone and and allow you to just not take the easy stuff over and over and over. I know that's part of how this defense is sort of built, but they're also not good enough to squeeze you in tight spots, you know, and that's it. And it comes down to, like, you're going to have to get a play like Mike Ford made where he comes over the top and strips that ball out on a completion. You're going to have to get that, like, three times a game. And I feel like we get that from them you know, once a month, and that's just kind of how it goes, and it's it's just tough to see, you know, where it where it really takes a huge jump and improves into something different. Well, let's uh, let's hit on go back to DeAndre Swift and hit on something positive mm-hmm. here because I sure. feel like people <laughs> maybe get sick of it always right. being negative. But uh, so we we wrote about DeAndre Swift's day, went back and kind of rewatched a lot of what he did on Sunday. We knew, I think, that this was in there that this was in the in yeah. DeAndre Swift's game just kind of waiting to see when it when the Lions were going to kind of fully unleash him in this offense and uh as you can tell when it's out he's out there it's completely different the way they can call the game is completely different than the way they call it with Adrian Peterson and mm-hmm. with on Johnson on the field so is this sustainable like are we looking do we did the Lions just turn the page mid-season and now suddenly we're going to see this DeAndre Swift heavy, more wide open attack that's kind of hitting these space plays that we've been waiting on. I mean, it feels like it would be egregious if it's not. I mean, it feels like it's it, it's been too they waited too long is what it feels like to get to this point. But now that it's here, yeah, I mean, I would hope so. I mean, I would think that that, that would be where they go. I mean, he's he just we've seen it so many times in pockets throughout the year where. You know, and you saw it throughout this whole game. And obviously, Washington's Washington, but like the first, you know, the second down scenarios in this game felt a lot better. The third down scenarios felt more manageable. We just got done a couple weeks ago talking about that Colts game. I think it was where it was, you know, they're at, you know, they're facing double digit third downs on an average of third and ten and a half or whatever for the whole game. I mean, Swift's ability to, like we wrote about yesterday, to force defenses to think about more things on first and second down when he's on the field just helps them get all these easy yards. I mean, easy yards are all over the place here that they just they hadn't been taking. And and you watch some of the stuff with Swift's vision and his feet and all the stuff it was it was really neat to see that all the stuff that we saw from him at times and it was weird. It's such a weird thing. Like at Georgia, Swift was so um because they had so many good players, number one, but not until his last year really did they feature him completely. And even then it was all it was also like he was getting like twelve or thirteen touches a game and that was it. And I know he's a smaller-ish guy, and you don't want to get him, you know, hammered too much. And there's a lot of times where he's accepting contact and welcoming it and running through people, and you like to see that too. But man, I mean, yeah, he had 21 touches for like 150 yards, 25 touches, 21, something like that, for 150 yards. I don't know how you don't just make that part of your part of your offense now and, and just go forward and say this is this is a default. Not only is he the top back on the team, he's going to be a featured part of everything we do. And that just would make sense. I, I think that a lot of the stuff they did with him was great. Uh, the touchdown they got for him on the out of the backfield where they motioned him out in the quads was awesome. The screen they, they ran, I know you broke that down. That was great uh, at a perfect time on second and forever. Uh, and then a lot of his stuff between the tackles was all stuff that we saw, you know, when he was confident as a runner. You know, his vision is very good. His patience is very good. But also, 
he's just so good. He's just so good with his balance and his ability to never keep his feet, you know, always keep the feet moving. But, you know, I, I don't know what it is about him, but it's a weird, it's almost like he's a, he's like a video game guy, right? Where it's like his feet never stop. It's not hard for him to change direction. He doesn't lose any of that acceleration, but he also kind of pinballs off people, has really good vision in the open field. He's a really good player. I think he's a legit good football player and a guy that you're looking about, guys, who, who can you build around down the road and, and everything else? And he seems to be absolutely on that list. But the frustrating part is, so do you go? You have to go forward with this, and he has to be part of your offense. And if you don't, and if you revert back to any other situation, then my question would become, well, why did you draft DeAndre Swift? Because you could have drafted Jonathan Taylor uh, at that point, and you could have put him in the backfield and run what you do with Peterson on first down all game long anyway, and that's what you could have done. So that's where we're getting here now. If you're not going to feature him, then why'd you take him? And, and, that, and then that becomes another question of so many draft picks that we just talked about on the other side. But, you know, I, w- I would think that... Uh, it should be a sign of a lot to come because he did a lot of really cool stuff out there on Sunday, and I think that he could do more against everybody else. Yeah, and you mentioned too. I mean, the first their first four plays, three were pretty effective DeAndre Swift carries, and then the fifth play was the touchdown pass uh, over the top on the yeah. sideline to Marvin Hall, which you know they've talked a lot. Especially Matthew Stafford has talked after a lot of these games. People have asked him why he can't get deep shots, and you know he's always saying, "Well, they're." They're playing two or three high safeties. They're firing mm-hmm. all their linebackers out. We just don't have those opportunities. That was a play where Swift had three good runs in a row. The Washington had, I think, yeah. eight guys in the box, at least seven, yeah. and a single high safety. And suddenly you're in these advantageous situations on offense because you've got something going with the run game. And, you know, that I worry that that plays too much into their old line of thinking you know (laughs) that they're gonna say well we can do that with adrian peterson too let's you know give him some more carries and uh just try to establish that balance but i think it changed things for sure to have deandre swift out there i think the next step now is you know that game sunday was basically it was swift you know marvin jones was productive and hall had the one big catch and that Mm -hmm. was pretty much it so i think the next step now is to just see what else you can do within this offense how does this open up tj hawkinson how does this open up more from Hall or Jamal Agnew when they're yeah. healthy? What can you do with Galladay? I mean, I think the possibilities here are, are pretty expansive uh, for what DeAndre Swift gives you. Um, because yeah. like you mentioned, that motioning him out into the quads formation, that's not a play they're running with Adrian Peterson on no, the field. Just no. They're just not. And that, I mean, maybe you could try it, but you're not doing it right now. So I think it's uh, pretty striking how, how much – how much more creative the offense looks with DeAndre Swift out there. Yeah, and again, I mean, that play you're talking about is one I got it pulled up here on my screen. It's eight in the box, and they've got like a ninth overhang guy because they're so worried about the run. (laughs) It's not even play action, and everyone freezes, including Kendall Fuller, who is looking in the backfield, and that's why Marvin Hall is able to get around him so quick. And, And that's just, that's what they want, obviously, but at the same time, like, all those things are going to be still available to you if you continue to establish this guy is a weapon and he is a guy that we're going to do different things with. If you continue to establish that early in games, then I think that you can kind of do anything you want. I mean, they love to take shots in between the 40s, right? They, you know, the, they get to the 35. Uh, in between the 35 and between the 40s, they love to take shots. They love to, t- to do the play-action stuff in there, and that's how that touchdown gets created. But, I mean, you can do all that with Swift. You can still do that. You can still come out sometimes with the double tight uh, and run some of that if he's finding yards, uh, whether it be you know bouncing outside or just being patient in the middle. <clears throat> but also, you can create everything else that we talked about, too, with you know more room in the middle for Hawkinson, uh, more room underneath for Marvin Hall, and more room over the top for, you know, if he gets back Galladay and then... You know Marvin Jones is so good at working through those seams. If you, I think I feel like it's this: if you just say five or six times a game, I don't even know if it would have to be more than that. Five or six times a game, we're going to do something with DeAndre Swift that just terrifies you know the other sideline. In that we're going to get him in a matchup against your line, you know, one of your inside linebackers. He's not going to be able to cover him, and we're going to really hurt you here. And as, if you can establish some of that stuff. Uh, they they did some of that with Agnew at times when he was healthy too. But if you can start establishing more of those situations, I just feel like you give the defense more things to worry about. 
And they have good players. I mean, that's the thing with the Lions offensively. Marvin Hall's a good receiver. We talked about that in August, and I don't think we were wrong. We've been asked that many times. Like, were you guys just missing it? I don't think so. I think he's a good player. (laughs) I think Cephas is getting there. Obviously, he's got a long way to go. But, you know, I think that there's... There's good stuff here. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. The reason why they got rid of somebody like Fulgham was because there's there's younger guys on this team that they really wanted to keep that are good players. And it was it was cool to see them let those guys... Marvin Hall said it yesterday, I think, um, when somebody was somebody asked him, you know, everyone knows you're a deep, deep threat and blah, 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 everything else. That's, that's your whole thing. And he kind of said, he's like, they've, they've let me do other things. And continue to do that. It would be, it would be the best thing here. Because I think it would, all that stuff that we saw against Washington, and you can say, well, it's Washington. All the stuff that Swift did, that'll work against anybody else. I mean, that's that's designed to work against anybody in the league, unless you're playing a team with like linebackers who are crazy, crazy fast and athletic, which not everybody has that. So, yeah, I mean, I think that there's a lot of positive stuff here offensively. That was the best, that was the best day, it felt like, in terms of plan of making sure you were taking everything that was available to you and not forcing things... That, that felt like Daryl Bevel's best day to me overall and just sort of saying, okay, well, here's what we have. We've got a lot of stuff. We don't use a lot of it. Let's try it and see what happens. And then boom, there you go. And it, it all kind of came along for the ride. Yeah, and I think you got to go back and give some credit too to the offensive line. I know the mm-hmm. the pro football focus grades for the day were kind of all over the map, but I thought they, especially against that pass rush, I mean, that's a really good Washington yeah, pass rush. Good. The Lions talked about it all week, just how worried they were about that front kind of wrecking the game. And I thought the offensive line, even with Ode Abushi starting at right guard, played pretty well, and they opened some holes early. So I think you've got to give them credit. Running off that left side, you know, when they get behind Decker, Jackson, Ragnow has been effective and was effective, especially with Swift in the game. So I, mm-hmm. I think you give them some credit. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I, I think the other thing here is uh, we keep trying to figure out ways for them to counter, you know, when teams do – do just drop and try to take away the deep ball. The Lions have been way too um, have made it way too easy because they're throwing, you know, they're throwing passes to Peterson, they're throwing to Danny Amendola, and this is, you know, again, this is something we've talked about. Right. Like, if Swift's on the field there, you can do basically what Alex Smith did with mm-hmm. JD. I mean, how many JD McKissick had like sixty three targets in that game on yeah. Sunday because. <laughs> The Lions were playing their, you know, for a lot yeah. of the game, the Lions were playing their shell, especially once they right. got up, you know, just not wanting to get beat over the top. And so he's just throwing it to McKissick in space. And you can do that. I mean, if you're going to yes. give it to DeAndre Swift in space and say, go beat a linebacker, he's going to go beat a linebacker and he's going to make some yards for you. So I think that that's another reason to have him on the field. And uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm guessing the people who are listening to us don't need much convincing. I think no, people no. know know what the best way forward is here. Yeah, and I think that the only question now is, like you just kind of hinted at, is how much do you give them? And like I think on this team, I mean, we're talking. I mean, how many targets does Kamara get a game? Like you just said, I mean, McKissick had 15. Okay, and games like that, give him 15. Like <laughs> I think that that's. If DeAndre Swift gets 30 touches in a game, is anybody going to be upset? I don't think so. I mean, like, that's that's something that if they're going to give you things uh, in the NFL, then you got to take them. And we see the Lions get caught in this crap every week where they end up getting, you know, oh, we're just going to give you 400 passing yards today because we're going to yeah. let you just take all this stuff underneath. And obviously they didn't give up a touchdown pass, but at the same time... Yeah, I think that that's been the that's been the thing all year, and I don't think, like you said, I don't think anybody on the on the sh- uh, listening here would disagree that you know you've tried it your way, you've tried it the other way, you've tried it the hard way. It's too you know it's just too much, and you've got to be able to remember who's on your team and why you drafted some of these guys. Like I just that was all I could think every week that we would sit there and watch Swift just you know do one or two things, and then we wouldn't see him for stretches, and then just be like, why'd you draft him? You know, why did you draft him? Did You knew what kind of player he was. You knew all the things he could do for you. You knew how he could help somebody like Carrion Johnson if you, you know, for the love of God, would ever let them play together one time. <laughs> like, I mean, why aren't you using it? And, you know, finally, you know, here it was. I don't know what the reasons were whatever, but it just felt like for whatever reason they decided they were going to trust Swift, you know, for real. And not just in the, you know, yeah, we trust him. You know, well, he dropped a pass. We'll throw it to him a thousand more times. You know, the talking stuff, like they actually, you know, this time they proved it, they showed it, they trusted him. He, you know, repaid them. And I would think going forward, that would be 
uh, something that would just continue. I mean, I don't think anybody would complain about that, and I don't know why you would. I mean, it's the it's the best offensive spark they've had all season at any point. I don't know. I mean, twice now. He did that against Jacksonville as well, and obviously yep. it worked. Uh, so we got a couple more things to get into. I did want to hit on the wide receiver spot because – you know, you and I have talked about this Kenny Galladay situation a mm-hmm. lot, and Marvin Jones. I mean, Marvin Jones. If he, if the Lions are going to let him walk, Marvin Jones is going to go sign a pretty decent contract somewhere and be productive for at least two or three more seasons. I think. I mean, yeah, you, you're fair. seeing he's still in, he's still in pretty good shape. He's still a guy that you know doesn't need a ton of space to get open, but can get open if you kind of scheme him up a little bit. You know, they're not even really taking deep shots with him at the moment. He still he had 96 yards. On Sunday, Galladay's been out for a couple weeks, um, and, and I mean, I think the obvious solution to all this is to still, at some point, get Kenny Galladay resigned and let Marvin Jones walk, let Danny Amendola walk, and try yeah. and figure it out from there. Is there any like alternate universe here where Kenny Galladay goes and Marvin Jones stays, or where mm. both guys are back? I mean, what's your read on? where they're at with the wide receiver spot and where this, I mean, you've kind of touched on it a little bit with Cephas and Hall and the development there, but what's your read on sort of where this goes from here? It feels like the best case scenario would be Galladay, Cephas, and Hall going forward. Um, If you were to let Galladay go and keep Marvin Jones, and um, this isn't anything against Marvin Jones. I mean, he's obviously, I think he's a pro's pro in terms of what he can do as a receiver. Uh, physically, he's not what Kenny Galladay is, though, and you'd also be asking a pretty big jump. You're going to be asking a big jump anyway from Cephas and Hall. Uh, but either way, I think Galladay, Cephas, and Hall with further development would be a pretty darn good, um, pretty darn good trio that you're working with. But the Galladay thing again, yeah, it's tricky because what do you? What's he asking for, right? Like if. We just saw DeAndre Hopkins on Sunday make one of the best catches any of us. And Chris and I, we watch a lot of football, right? Like, Chris, I think we could safely say the two of us watch more football than any 50 people we know combined. I don't know. Like, we watch a lot of football, like an embarrassing amount. I That's a pretty crazy catch that we saw from a guy that's averaging, what, $27 million, I think, is, is what he's... Yep. Can Kenny yeah. Galladay do stuff like that? Like, I maybe. I haven't seen it. If he's asking for $27 million, and I don't know that he is... That's hard. I, I don't know if I would completely hamstring myself with this guy uh, on a contract that's just impossible. But at the same time, like there has to be a line, and you know this market stuff better than I do. Like, what's the what's the number that you would realistically be like? I think that's totally fine. That's as far as I'm willing to stretch with Kenny Galladay in terms of you know I don't know. We don't know exactly what he's asking for. We have a we have an indication that it's probably higher than they want to go. It certainly right. seems that way, but you know, for you, when you look at this, what's that number relative to everything else you have in terms of cap space and everything else with that you have invested already elsewhere that would be comfortable in terms of saying like, okay, yes, let's do this and let's get this done, even if it's a little stretched beyond what we want to go. Yeah, I mean, Hopkins, Hopkins' contract is just over the top, even within right. the wide it's receiver crazy. market. It's twenty. Yeah, you meant it's even above twenty-seven million, a little yeah. bit above twenty-seven million a year. There's a bunch of other guys in that top, like Julio Jones at twenty-two million, Amari Cooper's at twenty million. Yeah, I mean, even coming mm. down a little bit further, Odell Beckham, Tyreek Hill are in the eighteen million range. Mike Evans is at sixteen-five. Like that's sort of creeping closer to where I think you would need to be here. Um, yeah. And then you get down to like Stephon Diggs, Devontae Adams, Allen Robinson are all in the 14 million to 15 million range. So that to me feels like it makes sense. Like he to me feels like I I don't know that I, I don't know that I'd put him on the same level right this second with Devontae Adams, but to me that feels like a, That's a fair, range yeah. where Kenny yeah. Holiday is going to be for the next three or four years in that second tier of guys. I don't know. I mean, I think he maybe is arguing that or his agents possibly arguing that he's going to be a, that elite you know high-end guy that's up in the top five of the mm-hmm. league um and, and yeah i don't know that you can go there so to me i think like looking at where the contracts are on the wide receivers looking at you know sort of how the they've been trending they're always going up so you always kind of estimate a little above um, where the current market is but we also don't know what this offseason is going to look like in terms of the cap and everything because things have gotten so screwy in the pandemic and teams losing money left and right. Like I don't yeah. know for sure that the cap's going to go up. So f- 
like that 15 to 16 million a year range feels right to me. And especially if you, if it's, you know, four or five years and you give them a bunch of guaranteed money up front and um, like that, that seems reasonable. And I think you can do that if Jones is walking because you basically would yep. have Kenny Galladay's contract and nothing else of significant note on the books at the wide receiver position. Like Cephas is cheap. Those other, everyone else is cheap. Yeah. Even if you draft another guy. Um, and you can, yeah. You can do that. You can just earmark certain amount of money for the wide receiver spot. I just don't know that you can go higher than that. I don't, I mean, I think he's maybe had an argument for it when he was playing and now he's missed a bunch of games this exactly. year. And yeah. so uh, I, it's tricky. And if he's saying I'm not taking less than 18 million a year, I can understand why they're hesitating to do that. Um, So I don't know. I don't know what – I mean, you've got the franchise tag, I guess, if you really need to do it. It's always sort of a last resort because it's hard to give a guy a franchise tag and then sign him beyond that because they usually want out after getting the franchise tag. But It's tough. Like, I know he's been hurt, and I know that's difficult. But, like, if you want $18 man, like, I mean, and and he's – He's played well at you know at times he's been in there, but it's also kind of like then what's coming up here this big stretch that we talked about at the very beginning like then go show it right now like right now like I think that that would be and maybe he feels offended to a point where he's like I've already done that maybe he feels like he's already done that I don't know but yeah I think I'm with you I mean I you look you just said it when you put it in context of all those names like is he better today than Stefan Diggs and. Devontae Adams, uh, no, probably not. I'd pro- probably take both those guys over Kenny Galladay today. If you, But I don't know if I would say the same thing in two years, like you said, and I think that's a fair... And even if you wanted to bump up a little bit on that by basically saying like what we just said, like, you know, I mean, he's we feel like he's going to be better than that and by the end of three years here, and we feel like that's going to be a worthwhile investment for us, then totally, I think that's fair. But if it's pushing beyond that to something that's just basically unrealistic, then, you know, you can't just bend and give it to him because you it's going to just kill you everywhere else. You know what I mean? So it's, yeah, it's tough. Um, and it's one of these things where you look at this now and you say, well, you know, if, unless you're one of these guys that is so irreplaceable as a receiver and a physical talent and Kenny Galladay, you know, I mean, might be that guy because of his length and physicality and everything else. I don't know if it's worth it because we see now, we just saw a crazy wide receiver class come through uh, we'll probably see more of that in, in the yeah, coming years so. from what we see in college football. Like you can go get yourself some pretty good football players that aren't far away from being, you know, really usable and really good. Um, you know, in the draft and, and through college. I mean, it's not a. I don't want to say like it's a complete young man's game because obviously receivers need time to develop nuance and everything else, but it kind of is. You know, you need. You know, I mean, your body gets beat up as we've seen everything else. You can restart and stay young at that position. Uh, pretty easily, I think, and not get yourself caught up into a crazy, unfair, ridiculous contract with a guy that maybe has it, maybe doesn't, probably has it, maybe he doesn't, you know, that kind of thing. So no, there's no law written that says you have to do it this way. They have options, but, you know, obviously you'd like to have it be a little more, you know, continual, I guess, but it's tough. I, I yeah, I've gone back and forth with this too. I, I understand both sides of it. I understand Galladay wanting to get it done. I understand maybe him thinking at the beginning – and that's the hard part is we don't know what the number offers were, but you know if they're just like we don't think that you're ever going to be better than where Adams and Diggs are, we're not going to pay you that even. Then I can understand where he's upset. But if it's if if he's asking for considerably more than that range that you just discussed, then I don't know what why that doesn't seem like good business on his end either because I'm not sure he's going to get that anywhere. Maybe he will, but I don't know. I mean, what what would he get in, on the open market? I mean, I guess that's maybe the bigger question here. What would yeah. he get? Would we think else, elsewhere? I mean, I still think he'd be probably in that range we were just talking about. Maybe he gets up into that $18 million yeah. a year range just because things get kind of nuts when you get to the market. But I will also say uh, a couple things. First of all, we, we prob- probably won't hear – if this falls apart, we probably won't hear what the demands were on each side until uh, sure. after yeah. he's gone. Right. Like that's what happened yeah. with Golden Tate. You know, They traded yeah. him and then found out the Lions had tried pretty hard to keep him and he just didn't want to sign. Yeah. Um, and the other thing is, I think there's a very difficult uh, sort of equation to figure out here with his development because he's only in year three. Like mm-hmm. he's a guy that um, you know you could see still getting a lot better than he is right now. Um, yeah. And the other flip side of that, though, is that he's 27 years old. He was in mm-hmm. college for five. I mean, he was 
he was a guy who transferred and was in college for a while. Um, and uh, year four, I said he was in year three. He's in year yeah, four. Year four. Um, yeah. But he's 27, and so you look at DeAndre Hopkins is 28. Mm-hmm. Mari Cooper's 26. Michael Thomas is 27. Like, is Kenny Galladay in year five next year going to suddenly take a huge leap at age 28? I don't know that that's right. I mean, like, I don't, t- yeah. players don't really, at some point in a guy's career, he kind of reaches a cap of what's he's gonna, what he's going to be. And this is a very, very good receiver, but I think it's fair to ask if this is, you know, if this is the high end for Kenny Galladay, if his, his max out is what he did last year and in spurts this year, which is, you good. know, 1,200, yeah. 1,300 yards if you really feature him and double digit touchdowns. That's certainly number one receiver stuff, but. I don't know that that's all pro receiver level. So exactly. I think that that's the yeah. other the other conversation to be had here is, is this guy in year five and year six going to suddenly rocket to DeAndre Hopkins territory? And I don't know. So um, that's I can understand why it's I, I know people are frustrated that he's not signed yet. It's been a little confusing, frankly, that he hadn't signed. Yeah. It sounded yeah. like it was going to happen. But I as you said, I get this. I get and the I, I get it, too. And I, you get the frustration, too, though, you know, like that's the thing, like you're saying, because it's like. If you're a Lions fan, you're you're like, when can one of the guys that we've drafted, yeah, right, <laughs> be a guy that we you know invest in and keep and just tur- let him turn into a star and let him do it here and let him embrace being here and let him be a guy who you say we're investing in him, we want him to be here, like he's a lion, he's one of our guys, and we want not only that, but we want him to go out, continue to play like this and convince other guys to come here and play with him. Like, that's the kind of stuff. Like, Swift is a guy that you want, if he continues on this track, you want DeAndre Swift to be a guy that is like, I'm a Detroit Lion for my career. I'm not a guy who's going to be here for three years, turn into a really good player, get into a petty, bickering, ridiculous, uh, nickel-and-dime contract situation, and then go make four Pro Bowls and win two Super Bowl rings somewhere else. Uh, what uh, you know from ages twenty eight to thirty two, like that's that's what happens. It seems like every time. So I get the frustration, but yeah, this is tricky because of the it's tricky and it's only it's tricky because of the situation what they've done with the cap and the signings and all the stuff that we've talked about. I mean, missing on all these draft picks and having to go back and sign guys in their thirties on short term deals because you know Will Harris can't play and Tavai can't play and Davis can't play. You know what I mean? Like that's why it's as tricky as it is. So. The frustration from all parties, all three, from the Lions, from Galladay, and the fans. Like This is a weird one because it's all very understandable. And uh, i got to tell you, I don't know what the answer is. Obviously, the preference, though, at the beginning of this conversation should should be Galladay, Cephas, Marvin Hall. Those are your three receivers that you should be should be in a perfect world, I would think, moving forward with. Um, Marvin Jones would be a tougher one to, to keep, and I don't know... Yeah. If I would do that over Cephas or Hall right now, um, but you know, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess it would depend on what he's looking for too. And I can't imagine, like you said, I think Marvin Jones wouldn't have a hard time getting a good deal uh, out there, especially on a good team that could you know use him as a luxury even in certain situations. So, um, seems obvious what the uh, optimal situation is, but uh, <laughs> right. it's, it, I don't know if they can get there. Yeah, and my guess is that Marvin Jones wouldn't mind trying somewhere else after oh, yeah. five years yeah. you know especially like he's from the west coast his family's in california like i wouldn't be surprised if he he's been a good soldier he can go win, yeah. win something somewhere now yeah, yeah. Like, I think and, so. and just the last thing i'll say here like i think that there's just kind of a reminder to everyone is that we always talk about these numbers and you know the total contract value and the average per year and all this and a lot of it is just sort of fake math yeah yes. like you can give kenny galladay 18 million a year over five years and still still set that up so that two or three years from now you pretty much can bail and you know the cap hit next year isn't huge so i think that there's ways around this that where everyone winds up happy but i'm curious as everyone is to see how this goes the the last thing i wanted to get into here um i tossed this out on twitter on monday just asking people to vote on who they thought the most improved Lions player was this year. The three names I tossed out were Romeo Okwara, Amani Oruwariye, and Tyrell Crosby. Okwara had, last I checked, something like 50-55% of that vote, um, which, you know, yeah, understandable. Fair. I think Oruwariye, there's a case certainly there. 
Uh, do you have a pick among those three? And then am I missing anyone? Is there someone else that should have been on the list? Crosby's a really good one, um, actually. And maybe, a, I mean, Okora is probably the guy, uh, I would think, that, you know, just because how hard he's playing. And it's it's gotten to a point where it seemed early on in the season that he was sort of winning some of these uh, pass rush reps because they were just ignoring him or leaving him alone against, like, a tight end or something. But that's not necessarily the case because some of them now are turning into like he's like wrecking some people on on some of these like he is playing really really hard uh playing like really tight you know like in a good way like he's like his his punches have been great on some of these pass rushes his feet are where he wants them to be he's getting good bend all this stuff like he looks like he's in great shape um he would probably be the, the top pick there and I would also say that like he would be one that you, I mean, people, we, you know, a lot of folks, including us, are hard on Matt Patricia for a lot of really fair reasons, but Romeo Okwara would be one that he'll be able to go, no matter how this thing ends, and say, well, we made a player out of him, because, like, I think he's turning into something that, you know, isn't just, oh, hey, look it, he did something. I think that something maybe getting a little more reliable would be uh, the answer there, but also Awari, maybe in that in that case as well, maybe a little bit behind, but Crosby's also one that slowly has turned into like a pretty good solid you know he's been a swing tackle he's reliable you can trust him he's not a disaster like I mean he's had some shaky days but he's also had some really good days and there's been some situations in the run game where he's had some really good swings there too so I I think he would be one that I wouldn't overlook at all he is one that I've kind of gone back to a bunch of times on offense and said like you know, remember I remember when he had his first start was it last year against uh the Chargers, I think it was, and and we were like, oh my god, he's going to give up like fourteen sacks to Bosa, and he didn't, and he's just <laughs> right, hung in yeah. there, you know, like he's yep. he's done a really good job of hanging in. I think that that's that's been a really good find for them and a guy that um, you know who knows. I mean, he's still a relatively youngish dude, so you know maybe he turns into like we talked about the offensive line having three pieces that we know right now are pretty reliable. I I don't know if I would totally close the book on on Crosby turning into a guy that you. I mean, I think he could play. You know, obviously, we've seen him play both tackle spots. I think he could probably play guard, too, if he wanted him to. So I wouldn't close the book on him either. I think he's been a nice uh, – he's had a nice year in terms of growth, and, and that's got to be good for him. Good guy, too, so I think that's probably good for everybody involved. Yeah, uh, and again, you know, there are these – We like you said, we rip on Matt Patricia. We rip on Bob Quinn, too. Tyrell mm-hmm. Crosby was a guy who slipped into the fifth round because, if I'm remembering right, there was like – some rumors that he maybe it's had some concussion issues at Oregon yeah. that that kind of went uh, under the radar, and the Lions picked him up in the fifth. Okora they claimed on waivers like two days before Week One in mm-hmm. 2018, and then you know that that was. I think it probably is him as the most improved. Yeah, people. I, think so. I had some people point to the seven and a half sacks he had in 2018, but I think a lot of those, as I responded to a couple people on Twitter. A lot of those were coming on. A lot of those were what you might call coverage sacks. You know, they yeah. just like it was like five seconds, and a quarterback peeled back right into him, and he was waiting for him. You know, there it was just hustle mm-hmm. plays. He's legitimately, as you said, just beating guys right now. The sack he had, uh, the the one pass rush he had Sunday. I mean, he got his arms up. It was, he, it was a speed to power, just yep. just clobbered the, <laughs> the tackle. I think it was Morgan Moses, like a mm-hmm. good tackle. Um, and so, yeah, there's been significant uh, development there. I will say, Oruwariye to me, as we've talked about a lot on on this podcast, has been. I mean, that's a success story in my yes. mind. I thought you know they tested him a couple times. Washington did the rare times they threw downfield. He was all over it Sunday. You know, you talk about Okuda needing to get on the field, and he has clearly been better than him as a coverage corner this oh, year. Yeah, all the way. So I don't think there's an argument really other than, well, you got to get your number three pick on the field. I don't think there's an argument if you're going by who's been more effective or warrior has been the more effective corner. And for a lot of it, probably better than Trufant too, frankly. But, um, so I, you know, there, there are some guys here. I mean, Hawkinson was the other one I considered. I just, it's hard to, it's hard yeah, for me yeah. to throw them in there because they've, continue to struggle to figure out how to get him involved but I think we've seen progress from him uh again that was kind of the end of the list there's like four or five names and then that's it and so that goes back to the problem we were talking about at the start there's just not enough of these but I think there are a few examples here that are promising if you could have got Walker to have this a similar jump you know that that we've seen from from a warrior then 
I think you'd have something here. You know, I think you could have a situation where it's like, okay, well, it's a, it's it's improving and it's noted, noted because I mean, Warrior last year gave up eighty two percent on targets uh, per PFF. It was eighty one point eight percent on on targets against. He's under fifty today, and he's he's been targeted forty four times. I think that's more than anybody on the team, or at least tied with Okuda. And he's under it's forty seven percent completion rate on targets against, which is outstanding. Like Slay last year was at like fifty eight percent, right? Like something like that. So I mean, if you if you look at it that way, I mean, yeah, he's he's held up, and he's held up against some good teams, uh, and he's held up against good, in situations where the, no one has helped. You know what I mean? And a lot of these have been one on one wins for him, and and that's good. But again, like we look at this defensively and say, well, you would have liked to see a similar consistent growth track because you know Tracy Walker last year was better than he is right now in terms of man coverage, and that hasn't followed. You would have liked to see something from Will Harris, and that hasn't happened at all. Uh, this year has been you know, basically a wash to this point for him. Um, you know, We're not seeing it from Tavai. You know, John Penasini is only a rookie, so I don't know if we can consider him improved hand, or whatever. I mean, I mean nice, hand yeah. maybe a little bit has shown. A little I mean, bit. We've, yeah, yeah, not yeah, enough. A little and bit. I, yeah, and that's kind of the thing where there's some guys on offense I think that are improving, but defensively it's like Romeo Aquara. Awarie, uh, and then you know it gets a little Hall? tougher. I mean Marvin Hall. Yeah. Yes, we talked about him. Hey, yeah, yeah. Like that, Defensively, though, I'm saying. You know, oh, oh yeah, yeah. Hard. Defensively, yeah, right. it's pretty low, and it's not a. It's at the moment not the guys you drafted, which is a right. problem. Yeah, <laughs> that may be the biggest problem. Yeah, and I don't know how have. you get around that. You know, like yeah. how do you how do you get around it? Because I mean, like Trufant has not been great this year uh, at all. And, you know, Okuda's having problems, obviously, and you kind of expected a lot of that. No, you know, and, and that's, I mean, you take that into account, too. Awari last year only had 22 targets, I think it was. I'm looking at Okuda. Okuda's already at 44, and still a lot of football left to be played. I don't so think not that's only, by accident, either. Yeah, not, <laughs> only is he, finding him. not only is he having a tough go, but he's also, you know, getting, like, heavy, heavy usage here because everyone's picking on him and everything else. But also, hey, I mean, that's... Talk about number three pick in the draft. I mean, that's that's part of how this is supposed to go. So, uh, yeah, I mean, not enough improvement. But, you know, that's that's what we've talked about all season. So it's tough to see it changing. All right. Well, uh, we've got a uh, Q&A to get over to. So I guess yeah, we'll yeah. Have there. Uh, the Lions in uh, Carolina on Sunday. We'll try and squeeze in a podcast somewhere between the end of that game and uh, the Thanksgiving oh, yeah, matchup with one. Houston right. on uh, Thursday, the quick turnaround. But Hey, maybe uh, this will be an interesting Thanksgiving game, folks. You don't know. I mean, it could maybe. be, right? Like, it's not impossible. That'd be fun. <laughs> it would be fun if there's something on the line there. Yeah, yeah right. that'd, be that'd be nice cool. <laughs> for once. Instead of just like, it was last year was the David Blau oh, debut, yeah, right. uh, which was interesting in its own right. But Hey, uh, if, they you can know. Get, if they can get to that Green Bay game, what is it? Uh, December like twelfth or something. Thirteenth, uh, yeah. Thirteenth. If they can get to that Green Bay game and this still is interesting, then I will consider this season a positive experience because that's <laughs> yeah. that's a lot further than I think I, I think anybody would have thought. You know, back in uh, early September. So I'll look at it that way as we go forward. Yeah, and three of their last four at home. I mean, they're all gonna they're gonna be underdogs in all four probably. <laughs> yeah, three yeah. Of the last Not four expecting home, so. it, but you know, we'll see. Yeah, if you somehow we've been sort of talking about it all year. You somehow string three, two, three, four together here, maybe. Maybe it does get interesting. So, uh, like I said, we'll be back after that Carolina game. I don't know. I don't know what it's going to look like at that point. We'll see what we're talking about. But hopefully, for the Lions' sake, they've got something on the line against Houston on Thanksgiving. Uh, Again, you can find one of these years on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, several other spots. Let us know if you need it up. Uh, somewhere that it's not yet and we appreciate everyone who's listened and subscribed and everything so far make sure you get over to theathletic.com check out the subscription deals if you're not a subscriber yet and we thank everyone who has signed up and uh, given us a chance so for nick baumgartner i'm chris burke thanks for listening we'll talk to you next week